0: Just like The View, only without all the annoying broads, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man Podcast. The podcast that suffers from repeated paper cuts. Gravel Gertie has nothing on him, it's Medicare expert Doug Jones. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here, and I'm so pleased that we're able to help you find interesting things about Medicare to talk about three times a week, because that's how often we do this. Uh, You might imagine, as uh, my Canadian nephew Drew McMillan just told you, I am your Medicare specialist. And I am Doug Jones. I'm here to help you feel comfortable about Medicare. That's why we're here. I'm using the third person uh, for uh, for various reasons, which will become apparent soon. But in the meantime, uh, the tool that I use most often to help people feel comfortable about Medicare is my book, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. That you can be had at uh, Barnes & Noble. Or at uh, Amazon.com for very, very reasonable prices. It is a a tool that one might use to learn the Medicare knowledge that one needs to learn in order not to make any errors and to uh, anticipate what moves are going to be required when Medicare time approaches. And most importantly, as a tool to introduce me as your potential Medicare advisor, I'm a licensed insurance agent. I help people every day negotiate their Medicare uh, crossover, their crossover from Obamacare plans to Medicare plans. And I would like to help you. So go get the book. You'll understand my philosophy. You'll understand the realities of Medicare, and you will be as prepared as anybody ever could be for that time when Medicare becomes a part of your life. And I am also uh, thrilled to introduce my friend and podcast engineer, Randy Carson, who uh, tells me he's got another episode of Stump the Insurance Guy planned. That's always an exciting crowd. I do. (laughs)
1: I do. Absolutely. Now, so since it's such a short story, do you want to do it now or do you want to wait till later?
0: Oh, I thought maybe it'd be exciting for the audience to uh, have to wait till the end of the podcast episode. This is
1: absolutely worth being, you know, a cliffhanger. So let's use it as a cliffhanger. But uh, I was going to say, you know, how are you doing, Mr. Jones? I I have some things to whine about, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, In Arizona, you can't expect it to be any warmer than 55 degrees this time of year.
0: Yeah, unless you're in Illinois, in which case it's 25 degrees and people will say, I don't (laughs) care what you're whining about. It's stupid that you're whining because it's a lot nicer in Arizona than it is anywhere up north. So I guess our whining is in vain. I think it's falling on deaf ears.
1: I think it is. But last, you know, last week and, you know, leading into the end of last week, I was absolutely afraid that I was going to have to build an ark because every time I turned around, it was raining.
0: Well, half of our rain comes in the wintertime and half of our rain, surprisingly to people that don't know Arizona, half of our rain comes in the summertime. The wintertime rain comes across from California. The summertime rain comes up from Mexico. Who would have thunk, huh? But anyway, as far as the whining goes, I had a conversation with an old friend of mine who's a client yesterday. He called to say that he tried to enroll his wife online in Medicare.gov for her plan, part A and part B of Medicare, because she's turning 65 in a month or so. And he said he was going to put a bullet into the uh, the computer screen because it was so frustrating for him. So I advised him maybe he just wants to call the local social security office and see what they have to say. They might just ease his plight a little bit. But then I I said, how's your weather up there? He said, oh, God, it's a nightmare. It's We haven't seen the sun in weeks, and it's cold, but it's not snowy, and oh, God, it's horrible. And I said, well, you know, we're complaining, too. It's uh, been cloudy and rainy here, and and uh, it's not very pleasant at all. And he said, what's your temperature? I said, yeah mid- 50s. But you idiot, don't, what are you whining about? So, (laughs) no, that's, uh, that's, we have to keep ourselves, uh, we have to remind ourselves that uh, even when it's bad here, it's still better than it is in most other parts of the United States. So,
1: well, I I always say, you know, if it gets below 60, I mean, I've never shown you the outfit that I wear to go out at two in the morning to take the pups out. It's like I look like Nanook of the North.
0: I have a snowmobile suit and I used to wear that for doing things outside in the winter weather. And if it was going to be above 20 degrees and I was going to be shoveling snow, it was too warm to wear my snowmobile suit. But if it was 20 or below, I would have to put that thing on because it enveloped me like the mama's womb that we all knew at one time in our lives. And uh, man, it's nice to know that the united states is capable of making such uh, excellent protective uh clothing
1: yeah it it was awesome I, uh, I but you know in today's world for me i have to crack that out you know anything below 55
0: well i understand because your blood gets thin you get used to the nice weather and then when it's a little colder than it should be it's uh, very apparent that something is horribly wrong <laughs>
1: I I thought it was so cold, Doug, and I was so irritated by all the rain. I just about called you up over the weekend to whine.
0: Well, you know something, you maybe you thought it was the weekend, but in reality, you probably hadn't let you (laughs) feel.
1: You know, that's one thing the audience probably doesn't know, is I woke up this morning one day off the whole time, because (laughs) Doug, Doug sent some email to me, and I'm going, Normally, I don't get that until such and such a day. And I'm going, well, this is a day. What in the world is going on? He's and crazy. Looked,
0: he's gone insane. he He's
1: off his rocker. Something <laughs> happened to Doug over the weekend. And I looked at my calendar. I'm going, no, nope, it's not Doug. It's me.
0: Well, I think the state of Arizona is going to be able to collect from some stupid motorist from the, under the stupid motorist law because we had a helicopter hovering over our house all morning. I'm thinking there was somebody trapped in a wash that got flooded.
1: You know what happens even if you have a Humvee? What's that? If the tires are not touching the ground, it yeah. doesn't matter.
0: I know. I know. Well, when I lived in Tucson, the rule of thumb there was that if it rains more than an inch, and this rain could occur miles and miles away up in the mountains, and you don't even know it's raining. But when that water comes down into the washes in the city, uh, it can kill people. If it's about an inch of rain that fell, yeah. uh, which is not much in a lot of parts of the country, uh, that creates killer floods. And it's not just people that drive into the deep water that get uh, confused. It's uh, I heard about a, a bunch of little kids that um, <clears throat> were playing in a wash because it's like a big sandbox in many places. And those kids uh, were killed when the floods brought down a tree trunk. So here comes the water and they're thinking oh boy now we get to go swimming and here's this tree trunk that just knocks them for a loop. So that's uh that was uh, a particularly sad event that occurred in Tucson back in the 1970s.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's no way you, you know any way you want to look at it it's dangerous around flash floods because you just never know. Yeah. Um the other thing about you know four wheelers, Humvee guys, Jeep guys yeah. So they, oh, I I can tr- I can crank on the four-wheel drive and I can hit that uh, wash about, you know, 40 and I can make it across. You'll do just fine until you hit that boulder that used to not be there.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly because that water coming down is going to move stuff around and it won't look like it did when there was no water in that wash. And you road, got it. The road crossed it, you know, went across the bottom and it's all kind of smooth. So it is um, something to watch out for. And Arizona eventually stopped saving these people with helicopters for free, uh, and they started charging them the cost of that rescue. And so now you find people maybe paying a little more attention. It's called the stupid motorists law. And Yeah,
1: was... and I think actually that's the name they used when it went through the legislature, right? The stupid motorists so. law?
0: Yeah, I, I like to think so so let us uh talk about medicare shall we not uh, yes
1: sir i'm you know as the nominal producer here i'm gonna go ahead and let's push forward into the medicare because absolutely somebody somebody's here waiting for
0: it all right well you've got a, a special event uh lined up and waiting for the uh, end of the podcast episode so i uh have been asked about prescription drug plans by people who need their medicare coverage and also i find myself offering information about prescription drug plans and what i have to tell people is that there are probably around 23 in uh, prescription drug plans available in most parts of the country and they will range all the way from inexpensive to very expensive. And the three variables are what drugs you take on a regular basis. That's one variable. Second variable is where you live in the United States. It's basically your zip code or your county. And the third variable is what drug stores you like to patronize to get your prescriptions filled, or do you like to use mail order? And so, then I take those pieces of information and I go to the government website and I plug all that stuff in and it spits out a list of all of the drug plans available in your area because I've used your zip code in your county and it will tell me which one is the least expensive from an out-of-pocket uh, cost out-of-pocket um, perspective for the client. Now that cost includes the prescription drug plan premium which can be a little bit of money or a lot of money it includes the uh co-pays donut hole deductibles any cost sharing that your drugs will uh, basically that your drugs will generate at the drug stores that you've chosen and i can take any number of drugstores for comparison purposes, and then finally, the uh, deal that the uh, the uh, drugstores have with the plan in question has an effect on your out-of-pocket cost too. So let's say that somebody's taking three or four drugs, and let's say that they like to buy all of their prescriptions and all their stuff, their makeup and all that stuff, at a local CVS pharmacy. Well, when I do the uh, uh, plan comparison. I put all that information in. It's going to show me the three least expensive drug plans available in the area that will accept those drugs and get them filled at a CVS pharmacy. And then if you want uh, mail order, what would mail order cost? Cause I'm lazy. I don't like to go out of the house. So uh, frankly, I have all my drugs sent to me via mail order. And uh, the cost for that is laid out as well. Cause whatever plan I choose has a, its own mail order arrangement. And so if I'm looking at the three cheapest plans, cause that's what the, the printout, the result of my search is going to be. Then each of those plans has its own mail order supply house. And uh, some are more effective, at uh, saving you money than others. So anyway, I finally, I got tired of explaining all this and I got the impression that some people thought I was maybe um, pulling their legs a little bit because the crux of my information is that you better buy a, prescription drug plan when you first become eligible, because if you don't need it now, you don't take any drugs now, but later on, let's say five years from now, you're taking some uh, prescription medication and you want to buy a prescription drug plan to help defray the cost of those drugs, it's going to be... Very, very costly, because the government will know that you didn't have a drug plan when you were first eligible, and they will penalize you. They will add a penalty, a lifetime late enrollment penalty on every month. And so I try to tell people, if you don't get one now, that's fine. This is America. You don't have to get a drug plan now. But if you don't get one now and you decide to get one later then it's going to cost you a lot more money and you might be better off paying for the cheapest drug plan available in your area right now for years and years, rather than when the uh, need for prescription medication hits, you buy a drug plan and they add on that lifetime late enrollment penalty. So I made up a little statement that I send out with the Medicare supplement quotes that I send to new potential clients. And it says uh, prescription drug plans. Everybody falls into one of these categories. Category A, they don't have any regular prescription medications. Why might you wish to purchase a drug plan before you actually need one? The answer is that when you delay the purchase of a plan without having creditable coverage from another source or insurance plan, the clock starts ticking on a lifetime late enrollment penalty. Someday in the future, you may decide that a prescription drug plan will be necessary to defray some of your drug costs. Unless you purchase a prescription drug plan when first eligible, you may find that the penalty will add a considerable cost To the prescription drug plan you eventually buy. Now, that's one category. Those are people who don't take prescription medications and they should be looking only for the drug plan that has the cheapest monthly premium, which I just sold one to a guy in Washington, and people may say, Doug, you're a saint. The reason I'm a saint is it doesn't pay any sales commission. I just did it because I like the client and I always want the client to get the best deal. This drug plan is from Aetna cost him a dollar 50 a month to uh, have a drug plan, even though he doesn't need it now, but it ensures his right to not have to pay a lifetime late enrollment penalty down the road. If he ever does decide he wants one. So category B, you regularly take one or more prescription drugs. In this case, the best plan is always the cheapest plan. The goal is to cover all of your drugs at your preferred pharmacies at the lowest out-of-pocket cost to you. Most locations have between 20 and 30 different prescription drug plans available, and each plan has a different list of drugs or formulary. They also have different cost-sharing and mail order options. These elements make selecting the best plan a complex process. Therefore, my questionnaire will ask your residence, county, and zip code, details about your drugs and your preferred pharmacies to include mail order if you wish. This information will be plugged into the government's database at Medicare.gov, and the result will be a projection of the least expensive drug plan for you. This projection will start from the first of the following month and run for the balance of the year. Since the plans on your drug or since the plans or your drug requirements can change over time, you will have an opportunity to select a different plan during the annual AEP from October to November each year. If I have also sent a report Along with this explanation, then it lists the three plans projected to be the least expensive for you at one or more of your preferred pharmacies. And it figures in the plan premium, drug deductibles, if any, co-pays, donut hole, and all other expenses. Also included will be a list of your drugs as I was able to locate them on the government website. Please check to make sure I was accurate. So I'm hoping that this sheet that I've uh, concocted will uh, help reduce the uh, yakking that I have to do (laughs) or the typing that I have to do when I have a new potential client. I hope it's a cogent explanation of the situation the government's created with uh, prescription drug plans. And now we have uh, more exciting news from Harvard Women's Health Watch. This is a newsletter. I don't know how I got my hands on this thing, but I've got X's all over it Little articles I've read about people's health, mostly women, I guess. And uh, I'm uh, getting down to the point where I can uh, throw this away from my giant pile of uh, articles and so forth. But I'm going to dip into one article right now. It says, novel telehealth approach may improve overactive bladder symptoms. Now I highlighted the <laughs> I highlighted the uh, headline. Randy's laughing up; he's going to cough up a lung over there uh, because I had this made no sense to me. I didn't want to read it and spoil it for myself. So you are right along with me. You're hearing this for the very first time. It's as new to me as it will be to you. The headline again: novel telehealth approach may improve overactive bladder symptoms. So let's launch into the story. Women with overactive bladder, a chronic condition triggering a sudden hard control urge to urinate, showed significant improvement in symptoms when they added telehealth visits to their usual care, new research suggests. A pilot study by Harvard researchers published online in May, uh, March, excuse me, last March of 2022, by Menopause, Included 23 women newly diagnosed with overactive bladder, which affects about one in five women. Instead of a traditional follow-up office visit three months after the diagnosis, participants scheduled a so-called asynchronous telehealth visit for about a month. Uh, this, in, or for about a month later, this involved a uh, completing a an electronic questionnaire about their symptoms and treatment progress. Clinicians responded to each patient's answers with specific recommendations such as switching medications or reinforcing behaviors such as cutting back on fluids and caffeine to improve overactive bladder symptoms. Over four months, most participants completed two such telehealth visits. All showed significant improvement in their urinary symptoms and less urine leakage Between their first and last telehealth visits, more than 30% switched medications or adjusted dosages and most rated their treatment experience highly. uh, Most rated their treating treatment experience highly. Researchers plan further studies to determine if the telehealth approach might improve overactive bladder care. Since nearly half of the patients suffer from lingering urinary difficulties despite advance in treatment all right i don't know what we learned there apparently they have to go to the doctor to get some kind of treatment and then they take advantage of telehealth which i think is a wonderful wonderful advance that the panic the covid panic has given us Uh, but i'm not sure that the treatment for the bladder uh, overactive bladder symptoms has changed much it's more it seems like the um, uh, follow-up has changed and they say that that apparently is a good thing for those who suffer this melody. So I don't know, not as not as uh, big a payoff there as we had hoped, Randy. I could tell by your interest in that story that you're looking forward to a major uh, revolution, a revelation. <laughs> so,
1: well, I've got to tell you, Doug, those those are two statements that in my imagination I never thought I would hear together. Which uh, two? You know, taking care of overactive bladder with a telehealth conference.
0: Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me, so I was pretty I, excited. Uh,
1: so, where are you? Where are you today, Bill? Well, I'm I'm in the John with my
0: laptop. Yeah, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I've, so, I've got an overactive bladder, and I'm hoping you'll fix it for me over my telehealth visit. That's right. That's right. Well,
1: you know something, we have run out of time, but. I do have that little hanging Chad, or what? What do we call it at the beginning? Uh, well, it,
0: uh, we it was a, yes. a cliff. Uh, it was
1: a cliffhanger. It was a cliffhanger.
0: Sure, I think you uh, should uh, go ahead with it.
1: Yeah, let's go ahead and do that because I think it's well worth the time. In a previous podcast, Doug was talking about. Uh, we were talking about you know smokes of the past, you know camels you know Marlboros, uh benson and hedges all those kind of things and uh lucky strikes and and he mentioned he mentioned that one of his uh one of his uh, processes or, or one of his uh schemes or whatever you want to call it that he would he would for the people that said i i uh, i quit i quit smoking no they didn't All they they did was they just quit buying. Okay, So so they they found out that Doug was an easy touch when it comes to smoke. So he was buying, you know, like crappy, crappy cigarettes to hand out to these people. And uh, it did slow down the progress a a little bit. Well, during that process, I thought of some of a brand that you could have used.
0: Yeah, what was that brand?
1: You may not be aware of these things. They were called English ovals.
0: I used to love English ovals.
1: Okay, well, back in the day, you could see the tar dripping out the end of an English yeah. oval. They were, they were
0: certainly potent. You're absolutely correct about that. They, they were, were
1: potent. absolutely potent. So I, I thought if you, hadn't, if you weren't aware of English ovals, that that could have been an alternative for you. In terms of uh, what were you what were you using for the you know the alternative crappy smokes?
0: My, my defense mechanism, and I don't consider them crappy because they're still my cigarette of choice today, uh if I smoked, that is, uh, was uh Paul Mall, regular Paul Malls. Oh yeah. Non-filter. And uh the reason they worked, they it was like holding up a cross in front of a vampire. Uh if they expected me to pull a package of uh filtered cigarettes out of my pocket. That's what they were hoping for. And uh that's not what they got. They got a Paul Mall. And many times they would say, Oops, sorry, I guess that's not my type of cigarette. And yeah. it, it told me that they were not manly enough to smoke a Paul yeah. Mall. Other well, people would take the Paul Mall, thinking yeah. that was the polite thing to do, smoke about maybe three hits and then it put it out. Yeah.
1: Well, my dad was, a. I mean, my dad was an ex-Navy guy, or once a Navy guy, always a Navy guy, but he used to smoke Philip Morris regulars, which are little short dudes, yeah. about, and boy, were they potent, and no, you know, uh, and the regular meant no filter.
0: Right. Well, my father, an Army guy, you know, in World War II and Korea, uh, he was a two-time winner, uh, he smoked uh, Lucky's. And boy, Lucky. you'd go through a lot of luckies. Those are as small as what you just described. And uh, I, we had an au pair one time from Holland and she, the old pair and she's from Holland and she smoked and she was horrified at how much my mother smoked. And uh, <laughs> she, she said, do you know how much your mother smokes? This is after she had been with us for a year or so. And I said, well, nah, I, you know, I've never really thought about it. And she said, your mother, uh, I counted your mother smoked five, packs of cigarettes every day <laughs> and i so- can
1: understand that because i think i told you about my uh my high water mark was uh a fresh pack okay this, keep in mind i'm wearing a suit at this point a fresh pack on the inside left pocket fresh pack on the inside right pocket a, a pack in process in my shirt pocket and then halfway through the afternoon i would be down at the smoke shop to uh, freshen up my supply.
0: Yes, I had the same sort of routine because I was wearing a suit and uh, I was going to Chicago. So I had, uh, I'd get on the train about 725 in the morning. And then in the evening, I took the 505. So I'd get out of the train at about six o'clock in Geneva, Illinois. And uh, so I had to have enough cigarettes with me to cover my whole day like that and um i had two full packs and whatever partial pack i was working on at the time so i i stacked up two full packs in one coat pocket and then i had uh, uh, my shirt pocket with the partial pack and then of course my zippo lighter but i couldn't take the zippo lighter if i had recently filled it because it would leave a red burn mark on my (laughs) chest
1: (laughs) oh i'm not laughing i'm just laughing with you doug
0: Yep, you know what it was all about. Boy, that smoking stuff was really time consuming and you had to do a yeah, lot of planning.
1: Had a lot had to have a lot of bits and parts, you know, all fitted together. Well, you know yeah. something? We have uh we have overstayed our seventy five cents worth of airtime today. Oh, so. I
0: hear the audience cheering right now.
1: we, so. we need to land the plane, bring it into the airport on what is it? Probably probably forty three left. I I think is the one we're coming in on. But anyway, long story short is there's a few things that I want to make sure we touch on. Number one is thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate it because without you, we wouldn't have nearly as much fun. You could have been 100 different places, but you weren't. You were here spending a little bit of quality time with us at Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast and there's a couple of things I want to always make sure we we mention. Number 1 is it it occurred to me or maybe we found out, you know, sometime last year that occasionally people aren't aware that Doug is a licensed agent nationwide. So if you need anything from Doug as related to Medicare, he's your guy. Call him up Write him. You can catch him at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. He loves getting mail. Or you can fill out a questionnaire at medicareforthelazyman.com. And did we talk about all the other ways to improve your knowledge, the paperback and all that good stuff?
0: Talked about that at the beginning of the episode.
1: Okay, good. I'm glad we touched on it because I wouldn't want to miss out. That's some good stuff there. And otherwise, the only other thing I've got to cover now is if you could find a place to give us a rating on the podcast, uh, that would be awesome. We would certainly appreciate five stars, but any sort of a rating would be good because we are always in the midst of the rating wars. Uh, That's just the way podcast business is. So anyway, you have just spent about 31, 32. I think it's 32 and a half minutes. Oh, boy. 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy, originally hailing from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the great state with the red dirt. Now he's living in Arizona, up behind Cave Creek, Arizona, in the high altitudes, in his fortress of solitude.
0: Goodbye, everyone.